Welcome back. It's Hit Factory. My name is Aaron. My name is Carly. And we are blessed to have on the factory floor with us today, returning champion, Roxana Haddadi is here. Roxana, welcome back. It's so wonderful to see and hear you. Thank you guys so much. Extreme same. I did not know I was like a champion. That's like very exciting for me to learn. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I am not kidding. This is this is now your hat trick, Roxana. Oh God, is it really? Yes, you have wow. been on for Pump Up the Volume for your, yes. your first outing with us. Yes. Uh, y- you came back to talk about Close Up, the classic. wonderful Kiristami classic. Classic uh, And here you are. Again, I think you may be maybe the second or third person in Hit Factory history to achieve this record. I love that. I mean, I absolutely should challenge those other people for like a Highlander type. There can be only one. <laughs> There's situation. an American Gladiator situation. Yes, absolutely. In your future. Please send me their names immediately. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun, though. And we've discussed three absolute bangers. So I'm very I excited mean, about that. <sighs> Yeah, this movie's this movie's pretty great. It yes. is pretty good. <laughs> it's very good. The the film in question today is the nineteen ninety six Robert Rodriguez directed Quentin Tarantino scripted uh action horror crime hybrid from dusk till dawn. We have been on a little bit of a vampire kick this spooky season so far. Uh, and we'll just spoil it for those who are not uh, initiated with the film right up front here and say that this is a vampire film. It is. Uh, and I, I'm curious, Roxana, when you first came to From Dust Till Dawn, what your experience has been with the film and, and how it's evolved over time? Aaron, I think that my answer for this is the exact same as my pump up the volume answer which I I think this was like a Saturday afternoon UPN pick. And it's it's more crazy now to think about how much cinema I was exposed to just on those random Saturday afternoons. Like we talk a lot about the choice of like how streamers have created so much choice and they were supposed to bring all these libraries to light. Like you can watch whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. But I, I really enjoyed the structure of turning on my TV and something already being selected for me. Yes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I sort of miss that. I sort of miss just opening the guide and being like, okay, this is on it this is on a four I could do my homework or I could like read a book and then like schedule my day around what was going to be on TV PBS was also great for this mm, yep. or uh, we my brother and I always watched Mad TV and Tales from the Crypt at midnight so there were all these things that became like appointment schedule television right uh, and I sort of I sort of miss the looseness of that which so that is a long way to answer your question which is to say i think from dusk till dawn was a middle school or high school watch i remember knowing george clooney from roseanne so he was one of those oh hey that guy Mm -hmm. yeah you know he was one of those like oh i know your face and it's like a really good face so (laughs) i remember it 
Uh, and I don't think I was sort of late to Quentin Tarantino. Like I didn't watch most of his stuff. I don't think until maybe like freshman year of college. So I think I knew the name when I watched this movie, but not all the associated Tarantino baggage, like the foot fetish and, you know, all (laughs) of the Quentin Tarantino sort of uh, like affectations. Um, But I, I was very much a spooky goth vampire teen. I was very sad. I was very depressed (laughs) for a lot of my adolescence. And so I sort of gravitated to tragic, like, romance-type things. So The Crow, Buffy, the series, Interview with the Vampire, of course. Um, And so I was very into vampires. And this was, like, a fun deviation from the very self-serious parts of the genre that I was at this point interested in right Mm -hmm. like I really loved the whole like I love you but like we can't be together because like you're 16 and I'm 280 like that was like (laughs) what I was into like at the time and then I watched this and I was like oh shit like this can be not to say that I didn't think it could be fun right but like this can be gory and grotesque and nasty and just all of the fun slimy gross things about creature features i think this helped like unlock that door i mean the turn in this movie i i can't i mean it had such an impact moving forward uh i would spoil some recent movies if i said they're just like from dust till dawn so i won't um but i definitely am not um historically educated enough to know if this kind of turn happened a lot in Mm -hmm. other horror films of preceding decades but in this one it's done so well uh and it really is that tarantino thing of just running through every genre that he can and he does it so well in this that yes there are obviously like seams to this idea like you can't have a crime movie that then completely pivots into something else without like a little bit of awkwardness um but it's just so bold still it's such a daring choice still that i have to respect it and love it but what did about you, you guys know, did well i have to ask you first did you know that it was a vampire movie when you started no. watching it no. okay i think i was just like this looks interesting it has george clooney that was it. It has George Clooney. I think that was mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that was like yeah. the end of it. So I do remember thinking, wait, what is happening? <laughs> like how did this go this way? And then being uh very intrigued to see how it would end. So like, you know, when you're watching movies on TV and they're like commercial breaks and you're like, I could make a snack or go to the bathroom or whatever. I do remember deferring those to <laughs> continuing to watch this it's like a very amorphous memory of me just being like oh there's only 45 minutes left i like i can hold it like i'll be fine like we'll be good we're good we'll be good yeah worth it yeah yeah totally worth it i was i was privileged enough to also come at it uh with a a certain uh ignorance of that turn the first time i saw it and i think the first time i caught it it was probably uninterrupted like on 
Cinemax or Showtime yeah. or one of the one of the premium cable joints when I was in high school as well. Uh, so we picked up probably already like a good 30 minutes into the crime part, mm-hmm. uh, but recognized Tarantino and Saul Kaito. And we're like, okay, let's watch this. So the turn came quicker and it made it all mm-hmm. the more fun for us where it's like, okay, now we can go back and watch the beginning of this and not be totally bamboozled, but also maybe not as bored as we might have been thinking like, oh, this kind of feels like off-brand Tarantino a little mm-hmm. bit. Here. Right. Were um, you aware of Tarantino before this? I was. I, I okay. came to Tarantino really young, actually. Too I remember young? Pro- Definitely too young. <laughs> like I, a big weirdo. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I started hanging out with a, a group of friends in middle school who went to a different school than me. Oh, And shit. so there was like, it was just like weekend hangs and like after school hangs. Uh, and there was like no real accountability there because um, they were like already like smoking and, and being bad. Living a hard life. Just just a, a hard <laughs> life. Hard yeah. life. Kids uh, from a different school are a real gateway. They, they are a huge really gateway. They really are. Oh uh, my gosh. And, and one of them, my, my, my friend Nick, not the Nick you know, a different Nick. I was friends with lots I of Nick. I don't Nicks. know this Tarantino Nick. Uh, was, a, was a big <laughs> fan smoking of- Smoking weed. Smoking weed at 12. Doing weed. <laughs> the the marijuana cigarettes and uh watching reservoir dogs and introducing us to pink floyd like that was God. what we did with nick what a so. baller thank you nick yeah. shout out <laughs> <laughs> thank you to him true king yes i love the idea of audiences in 1996 96 in 1996 being like, oh yeah, Tarantino, like the Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs guy. Yeah, I'm gonna go see that movie, and then like having just like a total fucking surprise for the last like 40 minutes of the film. Like, I love that, and I love that both mm-hmm. of you watched this movie not knowing that it was, yeah, that it had the vampire yeah. twist because I think that both halves are good, but mm-hmm. they each make the other stronger. Mm-hmm. And I think that for people who were already aware of Tarantino and Rodriguez, I feel like the twi- there's no way, well, I don't know, people are weird, so let me not speak in mass generalizations, but I would be shocked if you were disappointed by the twist, because it gets so bloody and disgusting in the way that both of their stuff does really well, but yes. I can't imagine you sat through Reservoir Dogs and then in From Dust Till Dawn, you were like, ooh, this is too intense. No, thank you. Ooh. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And, I, you know, I mean, we we maybe discredit it now, but at the time, it was a smaller audience than the one I think that uh, recognized Tarantino's name. But people were familiar with Rodriguez at this point. He was coming mm-hmm. off of El Mariachi and right. Desperado. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. neither of those movies seems to indicate anything quite uh, in this direction for him. You know, we didn't quite make out yet that he was sort of a, a horror aficionado as well and would do yeah. kind of more of this like pulpy genre stuff. Um, so it was it was fun seeing these two guys who were very like action kind of grindhouse oriented in, in some of their fixations finally just like lean into it all the way and, and have it be that kind of surprise. It's bizarre to me. I mean, this is like me doing like cursory internet research for like reviews written at the time and also just like talking to people on the internet about it. But it's very bizarre to me that people are like, yeah, like uh, the first half is just like a really good Tarantino movie. And then like the second half just like didn't work for me. And I'm like, what? The second half is like also a Tarantino movie. Like it's every other like 
you know, insane climactic, like violent uh, explosion that he has in like every other one of his films, except like it's a thousand times radder because it's with fucking vampires and and they're melting. Like it's just, it's so cool. There's so much pus. There's a lot of pus. So much pus. (laughs) Yeah. There's so much pus. More pus than blood. I think. I feel like there, I feel like there isn't a lot of, yeah, there isn't a lot of blood in, I mean, there's, there's some, right. Cause they're, they're sucking people and, you know, slicing them open, but it's more the like, what happens to the vampires that's like gory mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they don't have blood really right because no. they're just <laughs> yeah no i think that i think the tom savini uh sex machine description of them being <laughs> mushy or yes. soft is the part that really yes. gets me where you're like ew okay yes ugh. that's so true though it's so good i mean i think to your point too it's it's very much a second Tarantino half and I am so surprised by that analysis because well maybe it was like a contemporaneous analysis but now it's like how do you watch like Kill Bill and not see that like the second half of From Dust Till Dawn was like a run through of yes. like yes. Kill Bill fight scenes you know what yes. I mean like this level of uh, coordination and choreography and that sort of 87 different things are happening and I'm going to cut back and forth between each one that's so much Tarantino in all of his films so yes yeah there are vampires but like Tarantino like loves a type right I mean he loves vampires he loves ninjas he loves cowboys he just right. he'll take he'll <laughs> take any archetype character and just slather them with blood and call it good and yeah that's fine that's really fine. it's totally fine i mean he's yeah. using it to great effect and um and you know the first part of the movie is not without its gore it's it's incredibly no. violent as well i think like yes. the the opening sequence in the like quickie mart um i'm i'm thinking in particular about that like image that's just emblazoned in my mind of the shopkeeper hurtling over the the counter on fire just like mm-hmm. lunging at them like mm-hmm. it's such an incredible opening sequence but really really violent and really really visceral he's like popping popcorn with his <laughs> flesh that's on fire yeah. like mm-hmm. there's it's john hawks right it is it's a very young john yeah, hawks in very this. young on john hawks yeah although he's looked the same for like 30 john years hawks. now Yes, uh, my partner calls it the man who has always looked forty. It's like you always look forty, and it serves you so well as an actor. It's just mm-hmm. you stay the same age. So good for yeah. John Hawks. I mean, the greatest example, the greatest guy who's always been forty, is uh, one of my favorite actors of all time, Mr. Gene Hackman. Literally, uh, I was about to say Gene Hackman. I, I was like, he's either going to say Gene or he's going to say Tommy Lee Jones, and both yeah, well, both accurate. of them, both of them yeah. are are both yeah. of them is true. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about this is if you didn't know the vampire twist was coming, I hope you were overjoyed by it as we all were. But even if you didn't like the vampire twist, the first half of it, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in this first half. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredibly gruesome, right? I mean, so basically for people who haven't 
watched it. I don't know why you're listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, <laughs> George and Quentin play brothers. Uh, George is Seth. He's basically like right, like a bank robber, like a thief. Uh, and Quentin plays his brother Richie, who is, I mean, in the most brusque possible terms, a rapist and a mm-hmm. misogynist and a pedophile and just like every uh, quality that is sort of repellent rolled into one. And so when the movie begins, they are already on the run from the law. They've killed like nearly 20 people and they're trying to get to Mexico. Uh, and in the beginning, you have this establishing scene in this sort of like convenience store, Quickie Mart, where we see how far Seth will go to protect Richie. I mean, he knows that his brother is like diabolical, but he's still his brother. So you have that very strong bond that's established very early on. And then eventually they basically take this family hostage uh in an rv so that they can cross over the border uh and that family includes harvey Keitel as like a pastor who has lost his faith as a result of his wife's death uh and a young juliette lewis as a teenager who richie starts having some you know unwanted (laughs) advances (laughs) on uh but in that rv again there are some interesting things that are happening in that seth and harvey Keitel's character i think have a long conversation about god yes right Uh, like about god and about like what is the purpose of faith when tragedies have happened to you and how do you sort of reconcile belief with losing the person that you love most right and then what do your responsibilities become to the people who are left behind and i mean we always know that tarantino is talky right like he loves dialogue Mm -hmm. um but i think that sometimes what gets lost a little bit in discussions of tarantino is that he is trying to figure out and get to the heart of the eternal cinema question which is like what we owe each other Mm. Uh, and I think this movie sort of does that in an interesting way like once you do the twist and you're in this vampire compound (laughs) like how do you stand alongside people you barely know like how do you sort of form alliances and elect leaders and sort of formulate plans all those sort of survival questions come into play and tarantino loves that stuff i mean i think about the hateful eight i think it would be really interesting to watch this movie and the Mm. hateful eight together Mm -hmm. to take a look at how tarantino treats these characters who are morally repugnant and how he navigates ways for you to either root for them or at least try to understand where they're coming from and understand how they would respond to being threatened. Like, I think that's the stuff that intrigues Tarantino. And it's funny because people give like TV shows a lot of leeway for that sort of thing, right? Like Breaking Bad and Game Mm -hmm. of Thrones and like a lot of like long serial television. You get the anti-heroes who get a lot of uh, rope but sometimes I feel like Tarantino does not get that because there's like this expectation of who he is and his unfortunate 
tendency to use the n-word constantly and just do yep. some <laughs> things that are like purposefully yeah. provocative in a way where it's like god damn it quentin <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> god damn it uh but yeah i mean i think this one is doing a little bit more the vampire twist is paramount and like a plus but i i'm always interested in that first half and how it gets us there yeah i'm so glad you brought up the conversation in the rv between harvey keitel's character and george clooney's character because um i was so struck by it uh and you know it's it's there to fill some time but also as you say to help us learn more about these characters specifically about harvey keitel's character but also for us to learn a little bit more about um, George Clooney's character. And he yeah. has this line. Um, I'm going to misquote it, I think, but they're talking about acts of God because Harvey Keitel's uh, character's wife died in a car accident quite brutally. And she was sort of like in pain in this, in this like a, a wreckage for several hours before she died. And they're talking about acts of God and sort of like what the meaning is behind them. And, uh, George Clooney's character says something like those acts of God really stick it in and break it off. Don't they? Yes. That's what it is. And I just loved that. I was like, Mm -hmm. they're speaking the same language. They are both men who have been disillusioned to a certain extent. Um, And he says it so wryly, you know, that it just, um, it was like a really beautiful moment. Um, And I, I love that dialogue. And, on the point of like his talkiness, Quentin Tarantino's, I, there are times when I'm like, you're being provocative and like, it's not really working. It's not effective. Mm -hmm. And then there are times when I feel like his provocations are coming from a place of like, I'm not, he's not even really trying to provoke. He's just like talking like the characters would talk. Yes. And that's there were there were some moments watching this where I was like, I could see an audience today watching this movie and being like, he said mongoloid like what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not excusing that language or that perspective, but I also don't think that Tarantino is either. Like Mm -hmm. he's writing this character of the sheriff who comes in and. Uh, and is talking to the shopkeeper who eventually gets lit lit on fire. A um, recurring character in Tarantino movies, yes. by the way. Mm-hmm. The Kill Bill mm-hmm. Sheriff. Yes, and mm-hmm. in uh, Death Proof as That's well. That's right, in Death Proof. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like just saying racist shit uh, yeah. that is not worth repeating. But I, I had this like thought of like, this is an example of, I think Tarantino is writing this man this way because this is how this man would speak. Yes. Um, Not because he's like supporting his perspective. I, uh, this is where I get so torn because I completely agree with you in that. I think in the script, I think Tarantino is doing what his characters would do. And he happens to craft characters that are you know i don't even know how to say it i mean all the words that we've already said yeah (laughs) right morally questionable (laughs) complicated murderous all that stuff so he creates stories that are you know 
about that type of ideology and that type of perspective. Where it gets stickier for me is sometimes how gleeful Tarantino seems to get about pissing people off. That's yeah. sometimes where I get a little bit like, eh, I don't know, like ugh, that's I don't fair know about all that. Yeah. yeah, but in this film, like in the context of this film, I think that there is a little bit less of that because we have the very clear villains of the vampires and unlike most other tarantino stuff where he at least allows you like a sliver of understanding about what would make someone so monstrous and like what horrible things could have happened to them or uh like what awful things they could have gone through to make them want like revenge or make them willing to kill people or whatever. These are very much just like they're vampires and they're going to fuck you up. And there is no real like silver lining there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like probably the closest of his like latest characters is like Christoph Waltz in *Inglorious Bastards where I'm like, yeah. there's yes. nothing redemptive nothing. about this character. He is Nazi and just opportunistic and manipulative through and through. So it's interesting to get like for Quentin and Rodriguez too, I think a sort of like very unambiguous dynamic. The vampires are bad and they need to be eliminated (laughs) and the humans can like band together to make that happen. Uh, But I want to know more about like how you guys feel about Clooney's performance in this. Cause you said Rye. And I feel like he's very wry, but I very I wry. Hear what you guys think? Mm-hmm. Six o'clock. Time to get dark around here. About eight. Good. We'll go to the border, check things out. I'm gonna call Carlos, trying to arrange some sort of a rendezvous. I don't know what yet. Did you see if you could arrange a better deal than thirty percent? It's your standard deal. They're not gonna change that for us. Did you even try to negotiate with them? Richie, these guys are not spick firecracker salesmen from Tijuana. They don't even know the meaning of the word barter. You want to stay in El Rey, you give them 30% of your loot. It's scripture. So it is written, so shall it be done. Yeah, I know. Listen, you want sanctuary, you got to pay the price. The price is 30%. All I'm saying, man. This conversation's over. Okay? We need to have a talk. What's your name? Gloria. Hello, Gloria. I'm Seth. That's my brother, Richie. Let's cut to the chase. I'm going to ask you one question, and all I want is a yes or no answer. Do you want to live through this? Yes. Good. Rule number one, no noise. No questions. If you make a noise, Mr. 44 makes a noise. If you ask a question, Mr. 44 answers it. Now, are you absolutely positively clear about rule number one. Yes. Rule number two. You do what we say when we say it. If you don't, see rule number one. Rule number three, don't you ever try and fucking run on us. Because I got six little friends, and they can all run faster than you can. I, I don't think the movie is anything without that central performance. Uh, Clooney is so good at that balancing act of like, you know, kind of he he makes his monstrousness captivating and charming in a way that 
you feel sort of unsettled by, but also uh, completely, I don't know, just enamored with, just brought into it. You know, he he in his face and his his you know little ticks, his expressions, his kind of like cock of the head that he's always doing, and that kind of like you know close eyed stare that he sort of gives. He's so expressive. He's so charming. He's a beautiful man. So beautiful. Uh, but it's also concealing a lot of uh, a lot of villainy in there, and a lot of kind of like frustration. Um, but there's some confusion to it too. Like it, it almost has like he's really good at the balancing act necessary for this kind of like George and Lenny thing that's going on with mm-hmm. with Richie. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Where it's like we know that at a certain point this is a rabid dog and like needs to be put down, but he will go to incredible lengths to protect and to like justify his brother's actions. Uh, but we always see him, you know, right there at the precipice of, of just finally exploding or finally kind of, you know, crying out and, and saying enough. Uh, and, and Clooney is just really, really good at keeping us right in that perfect zone all the time. I have to say, I really appreciated, despite knowing the twist ahead of time, I really appreciated coming to this, having experienced like George Clooney's entire career already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. last week was the first time I saw this movie ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think is special about his performance in this film is not just that it's his big screen debut um, hot off of ER, but that it was before he crafted this sort of like George Clooney in movies character. Before he became Danny Ocean. Bef- mm-hmm. Exactly what I said to Aaron. Mm-hmm. It's before he became Danny Ocean. And the mm-hmm. Danny Ocean character, I think, is like what he ends up playing in a lot of other movies. Mm-hmm. And this has some Danny Ocean stuff in it, but um, more restraint, less sort of like I'm always like winking and smiling and a little bit more pathos. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think like really fun for me to see him in a genre he would like never touch again. Like Mm -hmm. I loved getting him, getting to see him like, bound around and like you know shove pencils in people's bodies like it's just so unlike the Clooney that we ended up getting for the rest of his career a beautiful career but this was special sort of like knowing where he went after this I was like oh this movie's like so different for him from what he would end up doing and the last thing I'll say about his performance is that what I think is is really great about the two brothers and how they were written and performed is that Richie Quentin Tarantino's character has always been a vampire. He was from the beginning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Seth George Clooney's character is not and doesn't become one. In -hmm. fact, when he is offered the opportunity to sort of like, ride into the sunset with a 16 year old girl, he says, no, he's like Mm -hmm. the exact opposite of his brother. Um, And so Clooney's Clooney's performance to me is like all, all the more interesting and I think compelling because of how 
he's just a more complex character and he's he's playing against someone that is openly easily and immediately reprehensible mm-hmm. um and he's not that at all i mean i love the richie being a vampire thing because i hadn't thought of that so that's mm-hmm. amazing uh but i also think what's great about that sort of read is it's easy to hate richie it's harder to hate seth although we kind of should right yeah. i mean like when yes. we meet them they have already killed like nearly 20 people uh like seth leaves richie alone with their hostage and richie convinces her to come watch tv next to him on the motel bed and then when seth gets back uh she's gone and not that she's like physically gone she's been murdered and we never see fully inside the bathroom where richie killed her but we see how blood splattered and horrible it is and we see clooney's reaction right so you get a sense of like he has seen richie be this violent over and over and over but he stayed loyal and i don't know how to feel about that i mean it's not great (laughs) it's not the best (laughs) it's not it's not the best and so it's it's interesting to get sort of that sense of he's someone who has allowed Richie to do a lot and to Aaron's point it's like well when does he reach his limit in that and the movie delivers an answer for you but it asks a lot of you before you get mm-hmm. there and with Clooney's performance I mean he does a classic TV actor transitioning into movies move as we saw in striptease where (laughs) you you know where you go as far away from your TV persona as possible so he's no longer an ER doctor he is you know a bank robber with a murdering brother and a extremely delicious neck tattoo and so (laughs) I think once he had gone that far right he never needed to go that far again but i think every clooney performance after this you're right that he settles into like a danny ocean mode but also to your point danny is a different version of seth and so i think Mm -hmm. that he's always sort of pulling from this playbook of someone who is in control sometimes rigidly so Someone who always has a backup plan, that sort of like shark gaze. I mean, Danny Ocean does all those things, but it's very likable because it's all sort of like jokey, rubbing shoulders, Hollywood glamour, Vegas glitz, all that sort of thing. But like his character in Syriana is a type Mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm. Michael Clayton is a type of this. Like this is what George Clooney is best at. Uh, and even like his rom-com personas are like a version of this, right? I yep. mean, like his appeal to women in those movies is there's that sort of like, I know what you want and I'm going to give it to you. And I cannot disagree. <laughs> I cannot disagree with that. <laughs> well said, yes. Roxana. But yeah, so I think like it's so interesting to see him in this kind of movie because you're right. He's never going to go back to this place again. He'll do other genre stuff. Like he's done other sci-fi, but hasn't come back to horror. And I sort of wonder, like, what could top this, though? You know what I mean? Right. What could top (laughs) this? 
like the movie like the horror that we're getting now like quote-unquote elevated horror i think is so different from this kind of film that it's like i don't even you know the the versions of this movie that we're getting now i think are like international features and Mm -hmm. i think other movies from i think communities that are willing to sort of like play with folklore in like sort of a brutal way uh but i i don't know i mean again this this could just be completely wrong but i don't know what other like mainstream like american movies do this i don't know i totally agree yeah yeah i think the thing that's interesting in this movie about how he like walks that line um is that he's like the one person who has his shit together and is in control yes but what i appreciated about this performance is that he has a couple of moments particularly as things start to unravel in the back half and it's almost like they're presaging the chaos that comes where he's drinking and he's like starting to slam things and like getting like visibly upset and Mm -hmm. talking about how he wants to go like ram some guy's face into the bar or whatever. And it was this weird moment where I was like, Oh, like get it together, buddy. And then I was like, (laughs) wait, no, that's like, that's like me, like superimposing, like the, the Danny Ocean sort of like coolness bad guy mm-hmm. on this character that is very different, but still, as you said, like still giving us what we want, which is like that mm-hmm. kind of like hot collared, like he does get a little bit riled up in the, in the back half. And I just like, I was coming into contact with my expectations for him and then realizing that that's like, that it was actually a treat to see him mm-hmm. like get a little, get a little undone. Um, because it was a different kind of badness that, you know, we sort of lose later in the, in the Danny Ocean types. Mm -hmm. Did either of you have expectations for Harvey or for Juliet that were challenged or affirmed by this? Great question. Yes. We have had, I think, I'll speak for me, but I, I think I can also speak for Carly a little bit. What a journey I've had with my relationship to Juliette Lewis. A Juliette Assange. Just, just, o- just over the course of, of this podcast. I have been familiar with her for a long time. Sure. I always found her, you know, tolerable to, you know, whatever. Uh, and since doing the show... We have watched, I think, more performances of hers. And and specifically, I think the one that like flipped the switch for me was Strange Days. Mm, um, and from that yes. point on, it wasn't just like uh it, it wasn't just like I, I really appreciate you. It's like, no, I'm I'm kind of I'm a little obsessed with you. I get it now. I, I see what everyone else is saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that also happened to like perfectly coincide with uh the release of the first season of Yellow Jackets. So I was Love having it. a really good time with that. Um, (laughs) and I think she is just really terrific here. I remember now, you know, enjoying her quite a bit in Cape Fear. Mm, Um, so good in Cape Fear. Great in Cape Fear. Incredible. And this is only a handful of years removed from that. You know, she's still very young here. She's like early mid twenties, if that, um, and she's doing a terrific job as, as she always does. She's, she's doing a lot with a little, she's always the most believable as like, the kind of uh, like demure, like 
Southern Belle kind of girl, but like who's a little bit like kind of a little trashy, you know, but like right there on like the kind of cusp of that. But like wise beyond her years. Yes, totally. Yes. Yes. Uh, whereas with Kaitel, I think his presence is very, uh, it's nice to see him, I'll say. The man can't really do a Southern accent at yes. all. Yes. He's definitely struggling through it, but he is, it is nice to see him and it is kind of against type for him. I'm surprised that he's here. Yeah. Like, I think he brings a lot of lived experience to this. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I necessarily buy that he is this character, but I sort of buy that he is someone who has experienced loss and doubt and is sort of channeling those things into the performance more than he's actually playing the character as written, if that sort of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, but yes, Harvey, <laughs> never going to say no to Harvey, but I think rewatching <laughs> it the first time he opened his mouth, I was like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> That's what Harvey's doing. Uh, but <laughs> Juliet, Juliet in the early 90s is really fascinating to me because mm. I think she is someone who, yes, projects sort of a wisdom beyond her years, but I also wonder how much of that is because she plays she played these characters who were hypersexualized. Yep. So I yes. don't know. I think it's both, right? I think she has sort of that innate quality, a little bit like Drew Barrymore, where it's someone who was playing characters in their late teens, early twenties, who already felt exhausted by the male gaze and sort of mm. constrained by it. Um, and I think Juliette Lewis now, her characters are just like a raw nerve, right? Like yes. someone who also feels exhausted, but now it's a lifetime of it. It's not just feeling like you grew up before your time, but it's that sense of I've weathered now decades of this and this is how I react to that. I don't know if you guys saw Whip It, which was the only movie Drew Barrymore ever directed. Mm -mm. No, but I, I've heard of that one. Yeah, the, yes. the roller derby one, right? It's roller oh, derby. Right, yes. right, right. Starred Elliot Page and uh, Juliette Lewis was like the bad guy in that. Yes. She's the, she's the captain of the rival roller derby team who is disgusted by the fact that Elliot Page is the new star. You know, like she's like, hmm. I've worked my entire life to like be... <laughs> this roller derby champion and here comes this fresh young kid taking all my glory but it's a really fun Juliet lewis performance and she's surrounded by a lot of people who she's clearly having a fun time like going up against like it's kristen wig it's drew barrymore it's ari grainer it's eve uh it's a fun cast and i feel like Juliet's having a good time so you guys should check it out that's on my watch list right one. now it's a good that one. sounds i i totally forgot about that movie the the first movie i ever saw juliette lewis in unfortunately was the other sister mm, um and like yeah. it's you know we don't need to talk about it but like no. it's just it's <laughs> no. not it's not the first movie i would have liked to see juliette lewis in especially mm -hmm. yeah. knowing like all of the other stuff she had done prior to that and so i that was like that sort of like tinged my my view of her and really just like diving deeper into her 
her work in the 90s um, has made me appreciate her so much more. I will say, like, she is sexualized in this film from Dust Till Dawn. But I think the movie also does a good job of, like, not, like allowing oh. us to participate in that yes it's making clear that the sexualization is wrong and bad mm-hmm. yes. like i think yes it has her saying things like what does she say like eat my pussy richie yes. i mean she is saying things that are not great um but i think the impact of us being like wow your perspective as richie is incredibly fucked up <laughs> i think that yes it, it does that well i also would say just from like a gossip perspective uh her relationship with brad pitt in the early 90s i mm-hmm. am like sort of fascinated by it i keep saying that word just because it's a good way to talk about the 90s but they they both were such sort of counterculture figures it felt like johnny depp and winona were like one kind of young hollywood couple and brad and juliet were another kind and i mm-hmm. sort of look back at pictures from them and then just think like what did you guys talk about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were your conversations like before he dated Gwyneth Paltrow? Right. right. It's just an yeah. interesting turn. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's then, a great yeah. question. And she was yeah. married for forever to uh, Steve Barrow, wasn't she? Was she? That's yeah. totally possible. Yeah. And that makes sense to me. Like when, when it got it to totally like, like late nineties, early aughts, when like, you know, Thrasher mag and all that stuff was yes. like at the height of its power, like Juliet kind of being like a rocker chick. Like it just made sense that she would be with like, it, yes. like, a, like an X games athlete, you know, <laughs> yes. like that, yeah. that just, that just tracks. Yes. Does anybody know what's going on here? I know what's going on. We got a bunch of fucking vampires out there trying to get in here and suck our fucking blood. And that's it, plain and simple. And I don't want to hear anything about, I don't believe in vampires. Because I don't fucking believe in vampires. What I believe in my own two eyes, and what I saw is fucking vampires. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? Yes. You too, preacher? I don't believe in vampires, but I believe in what I saw. Good for you. All right, now that we all agree that we're dealing with vampires, what do we know about vampires? Crosses hurt vampires. Do we have a cross? In the motor home. In other words, no. Wait a second. I mean, just look around. We got crosses all over the place. All you got to do is put two sticks together. You got a cross. Yeah, he's right. Peter Cushing does that all the time. Okay, I'll buy that. So we got crosses covered. What else? Wooden stakes in the heart been working pretty good so far. And garlic, sunlight, holy water. I'm not sure. Doesn't silver have something to do with vampires? That's werewolves. I, I know silver bullets are werewolves, but I'm sure silver has something to do with vampires. Well, does anybody have any silver? Okay, then who cares? Has anybody here read a real book about vampires, or are we just remembering what some movie said? I mean, a real book. You mean, you mean like a Time Life book? I take it the answer is no. Okay, then. What do we know about these vampires? Well, we know they got superhuman strength, but we can hurt them. Yeah. Another thing, though, if you're going to drive a chair leg through a human, you better be one strong son of a bitch. Right? Human body is one rough, tough machine. But these vamps, these vamps, they're, they're, they have soft bodies. The texture of their skin is softer. They're mushier. You push it right through them. Conceivably, if you hit one hard enough, 
Okay, and we haven't talked about Selma. Should we talk about Selma? Let's talk about Selma. Let's talk about the second <laughs> half and Selma. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think when I when I uh, pitched this one to Carly, who hadn't seen it yet, I was like, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think I may have spoiled the twist for you because it was like, you're going to find out eventually. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a vampire movie, but it's a crime movie, whatever. Uh, George Clooney and, and Quentin Tarantino are brothers. Uh, and Salma Hayek is doing a very sexy dance at a bar and pours uh, tequila down her leg into Quentin Tarantino's mouth. It is mm-hmm. like probably the, his favorite thing he's ever written. 100% his favorite, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like that wasn't, when you said that, I was like, oh, I know what movie you're talking about because everyone has seen that scene. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I remarked that I felt like I had seen this movie before I had ever seen it because there's so much of it that was sort of like, around like particularly just like online like Mm -hmm. that fucking haircut of George Clooney's and like (laughs) his neck tat and and Selma you know um pouring the the alcohol down her leg but that was like it was like a small part of the back half like I in my mind I think because I had seen it so many times figured it was like you know, a more substantial um, portion of the film, but it really is just the gateway to like complete chaos um, mm-hmm. opening up, which I kind of love that she is like, she's the one that ushers that in. She is great in this. She is. <laughs> because, because again, if we're talking about uh, the film sort of refusing to allow Juliet to be sexualized again it's sort of refusing this idea of salma is just going to be this hot bimbo who dances for them Mm -hmm. uh in this uh, very impressively constructed bikini number i mean she goes 100 percent monster which is again a great callback to creature features i mean female monsters are some of the best right i mean the idea of the mad woman and someone whose monstrousness quote unquote is letting their appetites be unfurled i mean the whole thing about the vampire and i think why it's probably my favorite supernatural type thing uh is just how much it pushes against what uh society expects for individual humanity and that sense of well what if we amp up the sensuality and the eroticism and the powerfulness of being a mortal and breaking free of humanity's bonds so the fact that she gets to do this and become this absolutely grotesque monster that is telling george clooney that he's gonna lick dog shit off her shoe it's just (laughs) just very funny and there are so many uh female vampires in this they just Mm -hmm. come out of the woodwork and they are going after these men Danny Trejo is there as a vampire, which is very funny. There's the guy who was storing a gun in his cod piece. Again, yep. like yes. Rodriguez and Tarantino are great uh, crafters of like the five minute character. Somebody you meet, you spend a short amount of time with, they make a fantastic impression, and then they're killed off. And the back half of this movie is full of that kind of character yes Mm -hmm. in a very fun and enjoyable way 
It's so yeah. much fun. I was grinning like an idiot the entire mm-hmm. time we were watching the back <laughs> half of this movie and also mm-hmm. grimacing because the practical effects are, are amazing. Amazing. Yeah, really yeah. impressive. Uh, the only thing I will say about that is they used a non-union crew. Yes, Not they did. Cool. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, they they like yeah. skirted uh, a lot of the demands of Ayatsi and uh, yeah. Again, I, because it was like, how do we make this movie as cheaply and as quickly as possible? Yeah. That's yeah. a huge bummer. There's also yeah. some sort of kind of weird like bylaw or something that Robert Rodriguez was able to manipulate given his like standing within like the guild of directors or something where he could like withdraw himself from the guild so that he didn't have to use like union labor or something. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, it was a very weird kind of thing that he like was, was able shy. to do. Yeah. It was it's, shitty. it's, it's pretty shitty. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, the practical effects are there and, and really impressive and it, it, it looks like a labor of love from the people. I'd, I'd yeah. hope so. And unfortunately, you know, they may not have been compensated as well as they should have. Um, but also in this back half too, like if you go into it completely unfamiliar with the film and, uh, unaware of the twist of the turn, uh, things are amiss a little bit when you start noticing who is populating the bar, um, that, that cod piece, uh, character who goes by sex machine is Mm -hmm. the great Tom Savini, one of the Mm -hmm. like most Mm -hmm. famous of, uh, all of the, makeup and effects artists in horror um, most famous for probably Dawn of the Dead, the the Romero version where he also plays a biker who gets uh, disemboweled in, in one of the goriest scenes in the movie. Uh, but he also remade uh, one of, one of those films. I think it was night of the living dead in 1990. Um, but, but has done a lot of stuff. Assault on precinct 13 prowler yep. uh, Friday the 13th, all that good stuff. Uh, and then also Fred Williamson is here mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, great famous black exploitation actor. So you, you see right away, like there are these characters peppering the environment that are uh, kind of callbacks to maybe what, what kind of movie we are, we're about to, embrace here and, and kind of dive headfirst into but uh, again it's just one of those kind of cheeky fun things that like cinema lovers like rodriguez and tarantino are clued into and want to clue you into but uh, but it's easy to miss if you're not familiar with it yeah i definitely think it continues that sense of the two of them are trying to do as much homage as possible mm-hmm. and trying to sort of open you up to here are the things that we can do in this medium and that you don't, I mean, unfortunately, because they were probably saving money that you don't need a lot of money to do. Right. I mean, but, but the sort of practical effects and the uh, production design and the action sequences and all these things that you can pull off when you pay attention to the past of what we've done and figure out new ways to put a spin on that uh, in the present day. And so I just, I, I love the chaos of the back half because it does all that. And because it's so well edited that we're moving at a very, you know, a lot of the movie is this, like Mm -hmm. I, in upon rewatching it, I was like, Oh, it really is like the entire second half. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's paced so well that I sort of think it's like, oh, it's only like 20 minutes. But no, it's like a significant chunk of time. And they just do a really good job of building up that tension of something about this bar seems 
kind of weird and something about Salma's intro seems kind of weird. The epitome of evil is sort of a weird stripper description. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that the that sort of sense, that ominous sense um, that has been present there since the beginning uh, with Richie then gets transferred to sort of the undead characters that we're meeting here. And that handoff is just done very well when you pull up to the titty twister yeah it's like I I turned to Aaron and I was like this is like why movies yes this is cinema this is why yeah (laughs) this is why like like, cool ass set pieces such an incredible set and like out in the desert sure but also the titty twister the titty Uh, twister i mean just like and you know cheech marin there too i think is another Mm. is another great sort of like he's here and he's bringing a sort of metatextual element to the to the story Um, his kill scene is probably my favorite god (laughs) again the pus there's so much pus so much it explodes all over poor juliette lewis oh god (laughs) so bad it's really bad it is it is fun to see cheech marin in here like three different times like he's outside the bar getting his ass kicked and then he's inside the bar introducing the strippers uh and then he shows up at the very end again it's just four times because he's a he's a um he's at the border patrol oh that's right he's in here four times yeah you're right he is good for him good for him good for him yeah (laughs) doing his uh his bubba gump but with pussy at the beginning (laughs) yeah um i have to ask you roxana what did you think about the fact that spoilers um i mean we've already spoiled a lot but what did you think about the fact that uh harvey Keitel's character has to die i mean it makes me very sad (laughs) but i also think it has to happen for the narrative right i mean i think it's a good way to bookend the earlier conversation about acts of god and i think you know for his character having lost his wife in a very tragic, unexpected way, and then come upon a den of vampires with his children, I think there's sort of that sense of this man is being tricked by the universe. And I think the only way to sort of put an end to that is a death that is in service of trying to save the people he loves. And also just trying to save people, right? I mean, this is a great example sort of of what Seth has been unable to do. Seth hasn't really been able to save anyone from Richie. Uh, But I think Harvey Keitel's character gets the opportunity to set the example of, well, you could do something good or you could try to do something good even though there is a cost to it. And I think... To your point, Carly, I think that's why at the end, not entirely why, I mean, I don't necessarily think that Seth would have said yes to Juliet Lewis's offer anyway, but I also think there's sort of that sense of like, I'm going to have to honor <laughs> what just happened <laughs> yes. with your family in there and not take you up on your offer. I honestly, that that the offer has always sort of rankled me a little bit mm-hmm. yep. because I never really bought it as a choice for her character. Um, 
And so that has always sort of been a little bit of a complication for me because so much of the film has worked to make you not think of her as like a sexual object. The only thing I can think is, well, this is her making that decision for herself. Right. And I think maybe that is the only way to sort of read that moment as not sort of icky. Uh, but that's always just been a false note for me somewhat. I don't know if I'm overthinking it or what you guys I, thought about the end. I'm right there with you. Yeah, that was, was the yeah. moment where I kind of like, I, 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 I tensed up a little bit when she kind of asked, you want some company? And I was like... Oh, I don't what remember how this kind of I, company. Yeah, what I was like, I, kind, Juliet. It was it was the only, the moment in the movie where I was like, I don't remember how this goes, and I really hope that it's not like, yeah, hop in, baby, kind of stuff. You yeah. know, like uh, okay, but yeah, even just the question alone was enough to kind of like it, it, it sent a shudder down the spine a little bit. It's a yes. weird. I mean, it's it's a weird thing though because the, the end of the movie is tonally in a strange place because we've been sort of taken to this extreme. Mm -hmm. All of this like chaos and supernatural shit has unfolded. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, uh, a maelstrom of bats at the very end. (laughs) Like just when they think that they've (laughs) killed everyone, like guess what you did. Guess what you did not Um, but so then there's like, it's the light of day and like the cops show up and right. her entire family is dead yep. and they kind they have to do something about that. Like they have to be like, where does this guy go? Does he meet the guy that he was there to like, okay, that's right. a joke. So like, I get that they kind of needed to address it, but I also was like, her family's gone she just went through this really traumatic experience with this man. It makes sense that she would maybe like want to stay with him because that feels grounding. But also I'm like, I'm sure she has like friends or family or something, you <laughs> can know, you like send her back to that. She go back to school or I don't know it. It, I, I get why it, it needed to address it yeah. um, because I think it would have been weird if it didn't, but, but it is interesting that the film puts itself in a challenging position because it it pulls itself to all these extremes and then it kind of has to tie everything up in a neat little bow and you can't really do that you can't really do that given where we had just been it's not sort of a traditional horror movie that ends in sort of like a horror movie cliffhanger necessarily it almost feels like the only way that it can end is this sort of back to being a little bit jokey and sort of chummy and like elbows you know rubbing up against each other i feel like it has to end in this comedic place to sort of maintain the tricky equilibrium that it's somehow found but i always just thought like could we word it slightly differently (laughs) so she's maybe maybe just like hey can you like give me a ride not you know (laughs) right do you need company Um, yeah But yeah, I do think that it's really the only way it can end because I don't think it can necessarily have sort of a serious ending after everything we've just experienced. Um, But at the same time, her family did just get murdered. So I require something a little bit more somber. Mm -hmm. A little. Uh, A little bit more. (laughs) But otherwise, you know otherwise a movie that i enjoy very much 
Yeah. Oh, I so enjoyed it. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. quite thread the needle in this part here, but uh, there is one more little twist at the very end, like the final shot. Oh, maybe I'm forgetting of what the it movie. Is. Oh, that's right. Where we, for the very first time, see the titty twister from the reverse side from the back from the oh, back i don't know if i remember this and we and we see that the titty twister is uh itself kind of like one level oh I that do is a bar this. yes on a plateau yes. that is uh really just the very tip top of an enormous uh aztec temple mm-hmm. uh just this giant pyramid Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't really know what to make of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what if, if there's supposed to be anything there at all. Maybe that it's like, oh, you know, these vampires and, you know, this strange, you know, kind of ancient mysticism of of the Aztecs or whatever is what these monsters are to, to offer a little bit of an explanation. But uh, yeah, I, I found it like interesting, but puzzling as well. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what to ending. make of that. There's, I mean, it's not, you're missing a, you're leaving out a very important part, which is that we see decades of detritus of like all of the people that have come through the titty titty twister and, and like they're the wreckage of like all the trucks and all the bikes and all the carriages and for years and years and years Mm -hmm. is in this sort of ravine. Sure. And so it has this sense of like, this place has always been here doing this thing and it's probably still going to keep doing this thing. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if Rodriguez has ever talked about it. I mean, he has made films that are set in Mexico. He has centered experiences from that culture. I'm curious if there was a distinct reason for that or mm-hmm. if it sort of just felt like in terms of another horror genre sort of trope if it was their version of oh we built our haunted house on a native american graveyard you know what i mean like i sure, wonder right. i wonder <laughs> if it was a way thing. yeah i wonder if it was a way to sort of twist that um because that explanation is so often used as like my upper class white family is now suffering because Mm -hmm. of these native americans but is this sort of a way to be like well uh this ancient culture that you know could have gotten snuffed out and destroyed by modernity instead turned its religious center into something everybody wants which is a strip club (laughs) and used that as a front like i wonder how much of that Mm. is sort of a nod to uh what do what do we do to survive in consumerist modern yeah. day culture? Like, interesting. I love. That I really read, like Roxana. That. Well, and that I find that so satisfying because uh, you know I, I'm not a huge Rodriguez fan, mm-hmm. but I absolutely love his follow up to this film, uh, The Faculty. Mm-hmm. You do love the faculty. I, I think the faculty Who doesn't is love the faculty. Awesome, it's perfect. It's it's a great like teen movie. It's a great yes. kind of revision of Body Snatchers, yes. um, but it also has like a very sly kind of like social message in it too, right? That like there is this fear of conformity that all of these mm-hmm. kids face uh, in the form of this like you know this alien alien uh, blobby thing, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, and and they want their individuality. They want their like freedom. They want to be able to express themselves. And at the end of the movie, you find that really all they've done is kind of shifted the gears around a little bit, and everyone has fallen back into 
a particular archetype, but just mm-hmm. change their level in sort of the social hierarchy. Order, yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of undoing it. And, and with this movie, I had this kind of weird feeling about it because it's coming from Rodriguez coming from a, a Mexican American filmmaker that there was a weird sort of like exoticizing of the mm-hmm. monster. You know, they go mm-hmm. South of the border and here are these, you know, Mexicans who are, are monsters and want to kill you and suck your blood. But I like that subversion that he adds that little kind of twist at the end that it's really sort of uh, exactly what you said, Roxana, that it's a response to modernity, that it's a response to yeah. this very act of, uh, penetrating the border that they yeah. have to do this in order to perpetuate it's a themselves. response to colonialism yeah. yeah yeah i love that roxana yeah i think I mean, that's I, I, rad I think, well thank you and i think it's just one of those things where it's like you dumbass americans are gonna try to find refuge in our country like we'll show mm-hmm. you refuge yeah uh, so i i do i do really appreciate that i would love to know what uh robert rodriguez thinks about like traffic <laughs> i love traffic but i mean i would be very curious about that uh that mini film review from robert but i mean he's in he's in star wars land now so oh my gosh he is he's doing he's doing uh book of boba fett he's deep in star wars land deep Oh he, wow! Did he do I had no episodes idea. of the Mandalorian too. I think he did do episodes of the Mandalorian. I think you're right. Yeah. Yes. Didn't watch any of that. Although Roxana, I know this is a bit of a digression. You are the, the, the loudest voice telling the loudest, you to watch Andor. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> you were the you were the loudest, but you were also the most convincing. All I needed oh, to well, hear was uh, Star Wars Michael Clayton, and I was Star I was Wars on Michael board. Clayton. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's a good time. We li- we literally did not even talk about the neck tattoo. Like, what is wrong oh with us? God. I mean, you you mentioned it. I think you used the term "delicious" to describe it's good. it. It's very good. It's Carly, good. What are your thoughts? Good? We should note it's good that it's it good. is it is on his full arm and his chest and his and his shoulder continues yeah. onward. Yeah, that's he, the best. That's the best. That was the best like reveal. Little, you get like a little glimpse of it, and you're like, "Oh, this is hot." Okay, thank you. And he takes his jacket off, and you're like, "Oh." It kept going. It It keeps it it continues to deliver. Yeah. 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 And he's in a wife beater and you're just like, oh Yeah. It's a black tank top. Yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. It's excellent. It's good stuff. (laughs) Thank you to the From Dust Till Dawn costume designer. Unfortunately, I hear you were not in a union, but thank you for your work. Thank you for your work. We appreciate yeah. you for, yes. for giving us this. It, yes. It's kind of uh, indicative of the whole of Clooney's whole thing, right? Where you kind of see it and you're like, I'm enticed. And then you just understand the, the depth of it all. Yeah. And yes. you're like, oh, it keeps giving. It keeps very, getting that better. Was, that, was a, that was a very thoughtful way to put it. My yeah. loser brain was just like hot. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to lick it. Yeah, like, exactly. The fact that he makes like one of those like terrible like whitewashed tribal tattoos look like, hot hot is yeah. just a that's it's the a, power a of magnificent george. <laughs> the power of george bless him bless him, bless him. hold him forever hold him dear <laughs> absolutely oh i do have i have one thing well we'll wrap with this yes. uh everybody i already know carly's answer roxana what for you is the uh defining the best your favorite george clooney performance oh come on it's michael clayton Michael Clayton. Okay. Yeah, it's Michael Clayton. 
Yeah, Car- Carly's got a fun one, I think. Carly, it's what the is the American? The American. Like, oh, that by is a, a good landslide, one. it Beautiful. is my is favorite performance one. of his. I just love. Even, but even compared with Michael Clayton? Even compared. I Like, I am fully alone in this, and I love Michael Clayton. Sure. Love that movie. Love sure. his performance. Sure. sure. I was so taken by the American um, I mean, when, I, when I saw it. He's just, it good. he's this just like... He's the most restrained he is yes. in any performance. That's like his Ryan Gosling and First Man performance. That's like, mm-hmm. that's the two of them together. Yes. Good it's comparison. funny too, because Ides of March is like not really good, but I will no. watch it whenever it's on. Because I, I like the two of them it. together. It's yeah, like, it's, it's whatever. Uh, it's whatever. It's whatever. Shows how far I've come in my, my media consumption journey. But what's the name of the guy who, who wrote it? It's the guy who did uh, House of Cards. Oh my god! Why do I not? I, even I can't even remember? think of his name either. But it, but it's got the oh same god. sort of level of political insight as House of Cards does, yeah. where it, it wants to be like a tense political thriller, but it's not. Uh, it's not smart enough and talking enough to like really get there. It's, it's really just like oh, George Clooney like had sex with somebody he wasn't supposed to. Wait, and like that, George that's... George directed Heights of March. Oh no! Did he really? Oh, he did. Did he really? man okay hold on oh it is oh george george George. here's the thing i think all the performances in it are very good but i think if you've paid attention to american politics in like the last like 30 years nothing about it is surprising Mm, but the movie treats it's like treats its inner conflict as like a very shocking like ethically challenging whatever yes. fuck it it's 10 years old carly doesn't care uh george Clooney i don't is, george clooney is like an obama like figure like someone who is like wonderful ryan gosling is like his campaign manager and then he finds out that what did clooney pay someone to have an abortion am i remembering this Aaron? it's it's something like that yeah i think it's i think it's really just like he had an affair the yeah. girl got pregnant and like he either like fired her or like had her get an abortion or wanted her to get an abortion she didn't or like something. That's the movie. That's the yeah. movie, and it like, it, it, like shatters yeah. Ryan Gosling's belief in like politics and goodness. And I was like, yeah, you're boy. like 35 years old. <laughs> you would have been shattered so much earlier. <laughs> you know, you know what it is. It is so. So it's uh, Bo Williman is the mm, the okay. guy's name who he. Did House of Cards. He okay. wrote it with Clooney and Grant Heslov, his his mm-hmm. longtime friend and collaborator. Uh, and it is really what the what the movie is is what if uh, an Obama staffer who was raised on a steady diet of West Wing, yes, found out that Obama was actually Bill Clinton. Yes, that's and exactly that's basically what, it is. what the movie is. Yes, yeah, and and so and that's the George that I'm like, not like for Hollywood. George is actually like going out on a limb, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like for most of us as viewers, I'm like, yeah, George, like that happens. <laughs> what do you want me to like? <laughs> what do you want me to say? Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> and George knows. George yeah. knows it happens. Yes, he knows. George knows. Uh, Aaron, what's your top George? You know, I I want to be original here. I think most days it probably is Michael Clayton as mm-hmm. well. Although I. I out of sight is up there too. God, out of sight is really up there. It's the great. wave, the wave in the elevator. Oh, yes. Yep. Excellent I, work. I, I think. Also very know, hot. Also, also very hot. So hot. I mean, as very you know, hot. as Ooh. as as like a, a straight man, 
I love Clooney as like a performer. I think he's a terrific actor. And I think Michael Clayton and the American are both like his best where I see like, oh, he's an actor. Same with Siriana. Siriana. Without, without of Sight. Capital I see, A acting. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and Out of Sight, I think it was the first time where I was like, you're a terrific actor. And also, I get why everyone wants to have sex with you because Correct. I want to have sex with you right now. Correct. Uh, yes. and, and that's for me why it's like, oh, this is like the full Clooney experience full. for me. Magnetic. The other thing, I feel like the other thing that is like, oh, you're an actor is I think after Oceans, like most, well, maybe that's unfair. Some people thought that like Clooney and Brad were like, very good friends because of their mm-hmm. excellent like friend chemistry in that movie but like they are not like they did not <laughs> hang out like it's Clooney and Matt Damon whose families like always vacationed together oh wow. interesting yeah. but like Clooney and Pitt are like not tight so after knowing that I like appreciated their work <laughs> so much more Absolutely. oh my god yeah, yeah. Big time. <laughs> 100%. because I just think they're like dudes hanging out like being friends and that wasn't really the case oh i'm i'm so glad you told me that that does make me appreciate those performances more yeah i love that i was just watching that uh the uh, the matsui scene from oceans 12 with Mm -hmm. them and and damon recently because robbie coltrane Mm -hmm. passed away Mm -hmm. they do a great job with that they're really Mm -hmm. yeah i buy it huh i mean bruce bruce willis in oceans 12 is like excellent also terrific oh i was thinking about him recently I, i don't i think i was like Oh, somebody was talking about like how like muscly um, action heroes have to get. It's the conversation yes. we have like every three months on Twitter. Yes. Um, but <laughs> it it made me think about Bruce Willis and like his body as an action mm-hmm. star. I feel like mm-hmm. is is perfect. Like he has he has some muscles, you know. Like he's in a he's in some white tees and he's like you know, running around shooting people, but he's like that perfect, like I'm, I'm a man of purpose. Yes. But I've, I've seen some shit and like, I'm beat up and like, uh, I'm not like this pristine plastic guy. And like, anytime he's on screen, I just like, he brings that to whatever performance he's, he's doing. And I, Thinking about him now just makes me really sad, but I think yes. he's wonderful, and I love him yes. in Ocean's Twelve. Yes, my partner and I talked about that with James Con when he passed away. Mm. Yes, which was that like again another conversation we have every three months on Twitter. But like actors used to do other things first, usually before becoming actors, uh, which is why you had body types like James Con or like Harrison Ford. They were like people who worked. They did physical labor. Like yep. it was not necessarily just this thing of like, oh, I'm an actor and my parents are in the industry and therefore I've never held another job and I can just yep. be an actor. Right. I mean, you had people whose bodies were like fit as a requirement of the labor they had to do to also become an actor. <laughs> yes Mm -hmm. so it's like you have like the james con like muscular body you have like the bruce willis muscular body where it's like not a gym body it's like a somebody who is using their body to work type of thing and i mean i always forget the author of this essay so i apologize to them but like that great essay that was like everyone in movies now is hot and nobody is fucking and nobody's fucking yes that's right yes. that that's is a great essay friend of the show uh raquel benedict raquel benedict that's nice. right yes yeah. nice. yeah. great piece 
Yes. Uh, so I think where that brings us back with George is like Clooney in this movie is like attractive, but not overly muscled up. He just looks nope. like a regular dude who happens to be hot. <laughs> Those are the best kind. The best kind. The best kind of dude. You know, Bless him. I, f- I feel like that's a good place to end it on. It is. I think it is. Roxana, thank you so much for hanging out with us thank today and so talking much. this movie. Uh, yes. Where Where can people find you and your work? Sure. Uh, you can find me at Vulture, where I am a TV critic. I also write about film and pop culture there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Roxana underscore Hadadi. And if you have some, like, I don't know, like some spare cash laying around or whatever, you could check out my Criterion essay on Sound of Metal, uh, which got released with the physical release in September. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. I will put one, I'll plug one more thing. I, I know that they're coming on Trouble Times Criterion. They had a series of layoffs happen, yeah. like, just today. Uh, but if you are a Criterion channel subscriber right now, uh, and you don't know about this, you probably have a handful of $10 uh, gift card codes in yes. your inbox. Yes. Uh, you can combine them yes. and uh, they never expire. So you can get uh, that wonderful film and Roxana's essay in it for uh, not a lot of money if you felt so inclined. So do so. Thank me later. <laughs> Uh, Thank from you, our, <laughs> you <laughs> Thank got you for it. <laughs> from our end of things, uh, you can follow along with us at Hit Factory Pod. Uh, subscribe to the show at Patreon.com/slash/HitFactoryPod for bi-weekly bonus content. Shout out to our overlords, Linda, Jesse K. Thank you so much, and we will catch you all the next time. See ya. A dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. He pledged